0: Friendly reminder that nothing in this podcast should be considered medical advice. This podcast is for informational purposes only. If you have a medical question, please seek help from your primary care provider.
1: Congrats to Katie on her beautiful baby boy, James. She's now a mom of two. She's only 11 days postpartum and ready to record a podcast sharing her second birth experience. What a rock star you are. (laughs) I try. (laughs) Um, I'm sure you're going to be comparing the births in your head when you're sharing. So could you give us a quick overview of what your first birth was like with your daughter Maggie, and then we'll get into your second birth with James, which is so different.
0: Yeah, so different. I definitely did a lot of comparing even before I went into labor. <laughs> so basically with Maggie, um, and I do have a more detailed like video talking about the full birth experience with Maggie, but I'll just give a really brief like overview. I delivered with midwives for Maggie. Um, pregnancy was just low risk. Very, I guess they would call it, they called it boring, which is a good thing. Maggie did not come on time she was late i went and got a massage at 40 plus four days and my water broke when i sat up after the massage it was just a slow leak so i called my midwives we confirmed it was my water and then i kind of was just told to wait until contractions started contractions never started after we i think we were like, I want to say just over 24 hours. They never started. I could have waited longer, but to be honest, we had to go into the hospital every 24 hours to get checked anyway. Mm -hmm. So at the time we decided we were already there the next day, we were like, we just want to have the baby because I was uncomfortable. And my husband was getting impatient and didn't want to drive back and forth to the hospital. (laughs) So we decided to do the induction at that time. I was one to two centimeters. I qualified for Pitocin induction for her. We started that that evening. So that was, I was 40 plus five then Um, started at 8 PM. I was dehydrated when I went in for it. So I had to get like a ton of fluid before I started. And then the induction started and it was a long labor, uh, not, as long as some people thankfully um it was about 15 hours from like the time I got induced to the time she was born it was a very different <laughs> experience like which I guess we'll see as I talk about this next one but it was it was long the contractions at the like it ramped up really quickly like there was no like early labor there was no
1: there was no buildup, right no
0: no there was no buildup. like there it was just like I had like a few like I guess what you would consider early labor light contractions and then all of a sudden it was just like full on active labor contractions even before I was in active labor like they were very painful and there was no breaks like there was no natural ups and downs like you get with a more natural labor. and I know that doesn't happen to everyone who gets induced some people do get like their breaks still but uh, I didn't, and I started to get like overlapping contractions, and it was just like so long. And I remember it got to like I don't know, like two or three in the morning that night, and I was just so tired physically, like from the the contractions, and I was starting to feel nauseous, and I hate feeling nauseous. And I had been walking around to labor, which had been going relatively well, like with my husband and the midwife support, but I was just so tired because we went in and got induced at 8pm, which was a mistake. (laughs) Um, I would have waited till the next morning if I had thought about that a little bit more. So we kind of lost a night of sleep as well. And then like the night before we hadn't slept because we were like waiting for me to go into labor. So we were both tired. And um, I opted at that point, I was like, tell me about the epidural really quickly to my midwife in between contractions. And she went over like risk and benefit. And I was like, yeah, I need it. Like I need, I need to sleep. I'm so tired. I'm so nauseous. Like I just can't um, handle it anymore. And I got the epidural. It was honestly like fine. It, I didn't have any pain, never had any side effects from it or anything. The experience was scary though, like getting it. I don't know why it freaked me out, I guess, just cause it's something going into your spine. <laughs> it's kind of, it's kind of like nerve wracking but the anesthesiologist I had did a good job and it worked for me. I know a lot of people, it doesn't always work. It fails or it only works on half your body. But for me, it was like, once it kicked in, it it was working really well. And I took a nice nap, woke up. I was like nine centimeters dilated by then. And I pushed for a long time, two hours, which again, I know some people push longer, but it felt like a long time. And then Maggie was born and after that everything was relatively complication free Maggie was like a perfect apgar basically at birth she cried and pooped and did everything she was supposed to do. And I I didn't have any complications I was able to go to the bathroom within like the three hour time period and then we were discharged home uh, because we were in midwife care and they came the next day so we got to go home that evening so. It was very different from this birth experience. I would not call it negative, but I would say that I was not prepared for an induction and what that would be like. And yeah, I think that's the best way to put it is that it wasn't. It definitely wasn't what I had planned or wanted necessarily. I didn't want to get induced obviously, but given the circumstances, that's what we went with. And I just wish I had kind of known or like, mentally prepared better I think is the best way to put it.
1: For something that wasn't in the plan originally to happen.
0: Yeah and like I wish I had known. and like I, I mean I'm a nurse like I know about induction but I wish I had known more about like what it feels like and and the fact that you know that those contractions can come without breaks and that and that maybe I should have gotten the epidural earlier if I was being induced, because then I wouldn't have been so tired or maybe I should have waited till the morning to get induced. Like there's so many small details that you just don't know about in, unless you do it, I guess. But I just kind of wish I had had known or had had prepared for that and been like, this is gonna be harder and just thought about it more before, I guess.
1: Absolutely. Like I had enough, I know nothing about inductions until my sister-in-law actually had an induction and hearing her story, I was like, wow, I feel so bad for you. Like that sounds so painful. And she's like, I didn't know to get the epidural right away either. <laughs> like yeah. inductions are brutal because you don't get the rest. Like you said that you needed and labor. I love hearing mom say that like labor is hard work that's why it's called labor (laughs) yes (laughs) energy. (laughs) so when you don't get that break and you don't get that rest and you're on zero sleep how are you supposed to be successful like you're not setting yourself up for success that way so
0: yeah and I think it's like important to bring awareness to like how different an induction experience can be too because I see especially lately I don't know a lot of people going the induction route and then ending up in an emergency c-section and and that's you know related to baby also being like tired and and you know like heart rate changes and all that kind of stuff but um or positioning but it's also probably related to the fact that mom is tired and and not coping well.
1: into this second birth that you had so I know that they say every pregnancy and every birth is different but I can't believe how kind of polar opposites um, both of those were for you like your pregnancy was very different and your birth Mm -hmm. was very different um, with both of your babies so let's start at the beginning Mm -hmm. with this pregnancy did you choose to go Uh, Yes, you've already said that, that you've chosen to go the midwife route again. So tell us about that.
0: Yeah, I loved the best part of my pregnancy and birth experience from Maggie was absolutely my care providers, like the midwives, they made my birth... The positive experience that it was like all the things they did to support me and you know in pregnancy again I had like a really low risk pregnancy so I didn't really have anything that I needed support with but they always answered all our questions like even Cody's and stuff because he would come to all the appointments and they included us both in like everything going forward. It was just an overall really positive experience. So one thing I knew is like, if I get pregnant again, I'm absolutely going with midwives again, like barring any complications.
1: So with midwives this time around, you had COVID in the mix. How did your appointments with the midwives change? so
0: the scheduling has changed a little bit in ontario for midwife appointments i can't say exactly because i think it depends on the midwife practice as well as well as like how your pregnancy is going like if you need more frequent checks like in person but they are doing like a hybrid model so They have some appointments that are virtual and some that are in person. So that was totally new to me. The appointments they chose to do virtually, it made sense. Like I didn't need to be seen in person every single time and what else was different I mean you're wearing a mask there's no waiting room anymore so uh, you would wait in your car wait like in the lobby and then you have to like log in through a system to tell them that you're there and they'd uh, let you know when they were ready and then you like meet them at the door everything else in terms of like being in the appointment seemed pretty much the same except like of course you're both wearing masks and they're sanitizing everything extra (laughs) other than that
1: really probably just screening questions yeah
0: like you do the screening through the virtual format even when you have an in-person appointment so they would do the screening like with you uh over like your phone and like video and then they'd say okay come meet me at the door like no covid okay. um symptoms just a typical covid screener kind of thing and then the other one thing that was really different for me was the Glucose test, which I ended up doing at a lab this time since there's no waiting room for you in the midwife office. And that's where I had done it last time. And then they drew my blood and checked it. So that was different as that I went into the lab in the morning and did it there. It was the same procedure, just, you know, like a different setting, I guess.
1: And then your ultrasounds, were they the same this time around too?
0: Uh, again, and this is the same for the midwife appointments. Like the COVID precautions impacted, you'd have to go alone. Basically, midwives was alone, and ultrasounds I had to do all of them alone, except for the I did one at the hospital in Mississauga, and they did allow my husband to wait with me and then he was able to come in at the end of the scan to see the baby but other than that i had to do every appointment every ultrasound by myself
1: other than the midwives did you see any other specialists or care providers
0: yes (laughs) so (laughs) this pregnancy like you said has been totally different than or i'm still talking as if i'm pregnant right now (laughs) so this (laughs) past pregnancy has been totally different it it started out the same pretty much everything was kosher <laughs> and then I went for my anatomy scan at around 18 weeks and there was two flags that I got called for so I went on a Wednesday my midwife called me like a couple hours later it was really quick and she told me that there was a flag for a po- uh, sorry what is it suspected cleft lip and then borderline ventriculomegaly. So I as I talk about this, I'll explain more about what that is. <laughs> so I didn't know really what ventriculomegaly meant. She explained it to me. Um, she went through everything. She said basically like the cleft lip you know, it's, it's pretty calm, like relatively common. It doesn't really cause that many problems. They said the palate looked normal from what they could see, but they can't confirm that kind of stuff with an ultrasound. This is all very complex ultrasound, like terminology and, and information. And I do have a really detailed blog post talking about the scan and kind of all the information I was given, which I'll link to in the blog post for this podcast episode and then she told me about the ventriculomegaly which is basically there's ventricles in your brain um they they contain fluid like your uh, cerebrospinal fluid so they can change in size basically like they're fluctuant like your kidneys like things are going in and out of them basically but there is a normal like measurement in terms of like how large they should be in like fetal ultrasound scans and the maximum I believe is supposed to be like 10, um, 10 millimeters. And I didn't ever get what his measurement was on the scan. I was just told it was borderline, which means it. Could be between 10 and 12 millimeters, basically. So he was like just outside of normal, is what she was telling me, which can be normal <laughs> because that's how medicine works, is like there's sometimes people who are on the like higher end of things or who are borderline and it's totally normal for them. Um and yeah, so that that was the information I was given. I obviously instantly started bawling my eyes out because. It was like information overload, and I just I thought everything at the scan was normal. Like I didn't know, right? Like you're not you're not thinking about that. And my tech was very weird. <laughs> she she wasn't very like bedside manner personable at all compared to the I had had two scans before because I had some like very light bleeding early in pregnancy. The lady I had for both those scans was amazing. And she like talked to me the whole time. She said, don't worry, don't worry. Everything's like, everything's gonna be okay. And and, you know, everything was totally normal on both my my early like dating ultrasound and then also the uh, nuchal translucency scan, everything was normal and my blood work had come back normal, which I did the like early first trimester screening, everything normal. So I was not expecting at all for things to come up on the anatomy scan, especially cause I was looking at it like it looked normal, but I'm not a doctor. <laughs> so exactly.
1: you're not looking at the tiny, tiny measurements that they're doing.
0: Exactly. I did notice that she was like scanning and scanning something like continuously. And I kind of was like nervous about that, but it was also the scan where we were finding out the sex. So that's kind of what I was thinking about and you know at the end she did tell me like it's a boy and she let me facetime my husband and stuff and I and I told him like it's a boy and we were so excited and that kind of got all washed away when I got this phone call and your mind instantly goes to like the worst place ever (laughs) um like I was like inconsolably crying like I thought I was gonna like I don't know, like my body was going to just stop working at that point because I was, I felt like I was being murdered or stabbed or something. So I called my husband and tears and he came home right away and he called the midwife and asked her to just go over everything again because obviously my brain wasn't working properly.
1: No and having a second set of ears to hear the information is so helpful in these situations. Yeah it
0: was really reassuring to me that I could ask him to like repeat what he had been told so I wasn't just relying on like my memory which obviously was being like jaded by anxiety and other things so that was really comforting and and you know we got a little bit more information it ends up that I got a referral to maternal fetal medicine at that point because she said that's kind of who follows up on like cleft lip and stuff like that so I this was like right before the September long weekend and so that was Wednesday my appointment with the MFM was on Tuesday that was easily the longest long weekend I've ever experienced And I was super weepy and super anxious. And I spent a lot of time stupidly Googling things, um, which sometimes would be reassuring. And then the next minute would not be. So my suggestion is if you ever have something like this, do not use the internet (laughs) as reassuring. It can be reassuring. Don't get me wrong. Like you read good stories and then you're like, oh, thank God. But then the next thing you click is negative. So you just can't go down that rabbit hole. And then I went to the MFM. It was an amazing experience. My MFM was excellent. She kind of said, you know, she looked at the scan. I had gone for a rescan also on the Friday at the hospital. And I bawled during the end of that scan too, because the tech had to like confirm something with the radiologist. And I was like, oh God, like something else is wrong. And I just, I was just bawling. And like, it was it's like making me emotional now. It was just really hard. Um, But then Tuesday, I felt so much better because this MFM was amazing. And she, she said, so like the cleft lip, this is the plan for that, basically. But I'll come back to that after. And then for the brain, she's like, you know, the measurements from the hospital were actually normal, they were under 10. She's like they're higher end, I think they were like 9.2 or something. But she said, in every measurement scale, there's going to be someone who's on the higher end. That's why we have a scale. Yeah. Um, there's always outliers, right? Like <laughs> um, not everyone is going to be perfectly within the average. And she's like to me, and she showed me the images. Like she brought them up on the screen in front of me. She went through, she showed me where it's measured, which was really nice for me. Like, as Especially as a nurse, like I need to understand how things are read and looked at. And she really went through that with me. And she said, to me, brain looks healthy. I see all the things I'm supposed to see. I don't see any like signs of anything being compressed because like the ventricles are big. She was like, if it were up to me at this point, I'd say, let's just forget about that initial thing because it's normal now. But she's like, but we'll do a follow-up. And I I totally agreed with her. I wanted to, you know, confirm that everything was fine.
1: And it'd be so much more reassuring to see another scan.
0: Exactly. Yeah. So, so we planned for another scan four weeks later. In that time, I went through this whole like cleft lip adventure. Again, this is like really detailed in my blog post, but I saw genetics um, virtually, which was an experience. I'm not going to get like super into it, but because I did do like a really detailed post on it, but um, that was an interesting appointment the approach of genetics is scary <laughs> i'll just put it that way uh, there's lots of talk of all the different pathways you can go down when there's any abnormality on a scan and pretty much anything triggers the conversation of termination which i only because i was on video with her i didn't start crying <laughs> immediately when she brought that up but then after it like really stuck with me that she even mentioned it but it's really just a part of how they have to approach things right like they have to present you with all of your options that's part of their job it's part of informed choice and I understand why it had to be talked about but I was like really just for a cleft flip we have to talk about this but anyway
1: that's surprising to me I wouldn't have expected that either
0: yeah, I guess because cleft lip. Now she did explain to me. She said like most cases of cleft lip and cleft palate are like isolated. Um, but there's like a small percent or smaller percentage, I think it's like 20 percent that can be related to like a chromosomal or genetic um difference, basically. And then there's more you have to look into that more. And you know, they offered me amniocentesis at that time if I wanted to look into it, which I declined. If I had felt there was like compelling evidence to suggest I should do it, I would have done it. But I felt like I was like, I feel if he really does have a cleft lip, then it's probably an isolated situation. That was my Determination based on like the information the MFM had given me and, and that kind of stuff. But then, you know, she mentioned termination after that. And it's just, it's an experience, the genetics appointment. Other than that, I also saw Sick Kids, Cleft Palate Team. I did a virtual appointment with them. They were absolutely amazing. <laughs> Not that I ended up needing them. But uh, SickKids is wonderful. The patient care, like the appointment was like an hour and a half long virtually. And they went through everything from like the beginning to the end. If he had cleft lip, if he had cleft palate, everything I need to worry about. Um, I even spoke to their social worker like that. And this was like still, I was like, I was only like 21 or 22 weeks pregnant and um, and they're already setting you up that much. So that was a good experience, but again, hard um, just because of the topic. And I saw cardiology as well, did a fetal echocardiogram. Our fetal echo was totally normal. And those were the specialists that I saw until I saw another MFM. (laughs) It's like a never ending thing. So I went back for my four week scan and the, the measurements were still weird. Like my MFM measured them herself and she got normal measurements again under 10 The radiologist measured them and got 11 point something. And so she's like, because of the like difference between our measurements, she was like, I think you should go to Mount Sinai. So, yeah, so this was like a roller coaster. I went to Mount Sinai, but that was probably the best decision. I almost wish that I had been referred to them not that my MFM wasn't amazing, but I wish I had been referred to them right away. I went to that appointment in October. So this, this was about six weeks of like going through all of this stuff. I drove to Mount Sinai. I was so nervous because I, again, I had to go by myself and I had to have another scan and I knew that. And at this point I was starting to get anxiety related to ultrasound. (laughs) Like I did not want to, I, you, you never think you'd be tired of seeing your baby, but I did not want to see my baby.
1: (laughs) Because you're constantly being told new news every time. And you're like, I just want this to end, right? Yeah,
0: exactly. Like I was just scared. I was like, what's going to be on this one now? Well, it ends up that I had this amazing MFM fellow uh, at Mount Sinai. um, And I also saw the neurospecialist at Mount Sinai. Now Mount Sinai has an amazing fetal medicine program. Like I think that my midwives were saying it's probably one of the best in Canada, if not the best. And their specialists are excellent. The fellow did my scan with a student. He went through everything because the student was there. So I got the benefit of that, which was amazing. Did the scan. The first, one of the first things he looked at was the baby's lip. He said, did they ever tell you that that like the cleft lip was confirmed and I said no it said suspected on all of the scans because of course I have every hospital's health records app and had all the records (laughs) on my phone (laughs) so I could look at them myself and uh he said yeah well I'm gonna show you there's no cleft lip here and he put the 3D scan on and he showed me my baby's lips and (laughs) he had perfect lips (laughs) And he had no cleft lip. And he even said, look, he's opened his mouth. We can see that, you know, the the palate's intact. From what we can see, there's nothing going on there. So he's like, that's gone. We're not worrying about that anymore. And I felt like a 50% release. The lip had been the least of our worries, I think. We were more concerned about the brain anatomy and everything. But it was like, oh my God, now we don't have to see sick kids. Now we can do all the stuff. And like the nurses at Mount Sinai took care of all of that for me. They canceled all my appointments. Um, So that was really nice. And then, you know, he got to the brain, they did quite extensive imaging on the brain, which I appreciate because I wanted to know. And he did some images and then the neurospecialist came in and did a transvaginal ultrasound at like 24, 25 weeks, which is extremely uncomfortable, wow. but that is the best way to do a neurosonogram, which is just imaging of the brain because he they had to flip him first luckily he's still pretty small at that point so it was really easy um to head down and then they they did the transvaginal and she confirmed that the measurements were totally normal so she suspected that what had happened is basically there was a mismeasurement the first time then the hospital um, on my rescan had measured it probably correctly he probably did just have like a bigger brain and Like ventricle, um, which she said for boys is actually normal. There's some debate in the literature that up to 12 can be normal for boys because they generally have bigger heads. Mm -hmm. Then she said, so there was a mismeasurement and then probably a correct measurement and then another mismeasurement. And she said it has to do a lot with where they place the calipers to measure the ventricles. And she said how basically like maternal fetal medicine would do it versus how radiology and not to say that radiologists don't know what they're doing but not all of them look at fetal brain scans that often whereas mfms look at them almost every day or more than that (laughs) so she was saying that's an easy mistake that she's seen before but she said everything looks great all the brain structures are there and they basically like printed off my records and they said no cleft lip no enlarged ventricles everything looks perfect the only concern we have with your baby is that he is large.
1: <laughs> and then they said, I "Grow big babies." <laughs> yeah.
0: And I said, "Well, my last baby was large." And then they said, "So we'll suggest a growth scan, but otherwise we want you to go home and enjoy the rest of your pregnancy." So that was the end of my MFM journey. And I returned to low-risk midwife care fully. I never was discharged from midwives. I actually did shared care during it, so I saw both of them. Even if he had had a cleft lip, we would have still done a midwife delivery. Just it would have been in a hospital for sure. So So when
1: you finally left that appointment, (laughs) were you like was it so much relief that I would have just sobbed of relief
0: I had to drive home from downtown Toronto and I I had to I, like I was so hungry I remember because I just like it was a long time it, and I just bawled like in the car like I walked back to my car and I was but it but it was happy tears yeah. finally and yeah it was like similar to the, re- the relief of giving birth <laughs> I just felt like this whole dark shadow was lifted off. It did take me a couple of days for it to like really kick in on a day-to-day basis because you still feel that anxiety a little after those kind of things happen. Like after that, I was like, oh my God, I can enjoy my pregnancy again. Cause I love, like, I love pregnancy and I just felt like I had got sucked into this terrible dark hole. And I, I was so happy that I could go back to like being excited. Not, not that I wouldn't have been excited. You know, we, we had a plan and, and whatever but it was such a relief.
1: You have, you know, medical background and you were, you know, very anxiety ridden. What would Mm -hmm. you say to other moms that were going through this that don't have that medical and they're even more in the dark? Like what supports would, you know, you suggest and that helped you to get through it?
0: Being a nurse can be a, A good thing and a burden at the same time when it comes to this kind of stuff, because we almost know too much sometimes. While I'm aware of like percentages of like things being unlikely, I also know that like occasionally bad things happen. And that when you have anxiety too, that definitely becomes the prevalent thought. And I think that's probably just what happens to most people when you even don't have a medical background is that you read one thing negative and you that's what you think about and I think that's totally normal I think we do that with a lot of stuff in terms of support make sure you have a good provider that you trust like having my midwives explain everything to me and I always do this even as a nurse I still have them explain like every medical procedure, even if I know it, <laughs> yeah. just because it's nice to hear it from someone else. It's also nice, like you said, to have a second pair of ears so like a really good support person who can come with you, or at least, I mean, in COVID, um, maybe be on the phone with you or who you can talk to about what's going on and who can kind of repeat information. Because when you have anxiety about the stuff, you just go down a black hole and you, you don't listen. You don't take in every factual piece of information. So support person, a good provider that you trust to explain things to you, who answers your questions. And if you feel that the provider you have doesn't do that, then it might be like looking for a second opinion, especially like I've definitely seen people do that in more like different cases of Abnormal anatomy scans like look for a second opinion um, ask for a rescan is sometimes a good idea, as you can see, with my situation, <laughs> I was following a fake trail this and the, that entire time just to be told oh actually everything's fine. <laughs> so.
1: And I remember you mentioning like personally um, that you did join a couple of kind of groups of other parents going through the same process that you were. Did you find that helpful? Or did you find that like, you know, it was information overload and also, you know, some sort of stories that are sad and some that are happy and it's just yeah. too much of a roller coaster.
0: Yeah, it was mixed. So I did join like um Cleft Mom Support, which is on Facebook. It was a really good group. I'd say that was probably the most reassuring. Reddit was a big one for me. There's an NIPT board and I did do an NIPT. It was all low risk. Some posts would be really comforting and some would be it would scare you again, basically, because everyone's sharing their whole experience. So some people uh, on this NIPT board, there's actually a lot of people who get false positives. And reading all those stories would be super comforting for me. But then there would be the odd person who didn't have a false positive and And that that was scary, of course. So it's not for the faint of heart, I'd say. Like, it you have to take everything you read and kind of I'd say like apply whatever your healthcare provider tells you as well, like what are the chances of this actually happening and remember that people who go on these boards, often are the people who are impacted by these things. So those are the people that share their story, and it's not often the people that who who aren't impacted that share so you're not getting like an even comparison of like this happened or this didn't happen. And that can make it a lot scarier because you're like, oh, my God, this is happening to everyone.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And you know what? And I think it could help with some people who don't have that medical background to be better advocates for themselves and say, Mm -hmm. you know what? I do want to rescan or, you know what? Can we redo that blood draw or something, right? To give them more confidence to move forward saying, you know what? let's just investigate it more because maybe they don't know that that's an option
0: both those boards that I talked about and I was in also a ventriculomegaly one as well on Facebook and all of them I'd say a lot of people ask those kind of questions like this is what the doctor told me I should do and people would comment being like you should ask about like an MRI you should ask about this or this is what we do and they they'd come from all over the world too right so in the UK, the approach to dealing with these problems is totally different than what it might be in like the US. So it was actually valuable to read like this is what my doctors did and this is what my doctors did and be able to compare that and bring it back to your provider and be like, well, I you know I learned that this can help confirm or deny that or it can provide us with like more information, et cetera, et cetera. So there's all those options. Um, so it was it was very useful for that purpose
1: was like i think the standard of care is very different country to country like amnios are very common in other countries as Mm -hmm. a regular thing whereas here in ontario and canada we usually leave that kind of as a last resort you chose not to which is it was an option presented to you And whereas I find in other places in the world, it's not really an option. It's like, okay, so next week is your amnio. Exactly,
0: exactly. And I I noticed that too on the boards. I mean, really, you don't anywhere, but it's just presented differently in different places. Here, it was very much like, these are your options to choose from. And I chose to do the fetal echocardiogram versus the amniocentesis at the time. was it boring? It was mostly boring actually until like I got a negative glucose test right after that. So I was pretty prompt on that. And then yeah, nothing going on after that. My iron stayed good. Um, I did end up taking an iron supplement just because I was fatigued. um, So that was helpful. And it was very boring until like literally 39 weeks when I started having low blood sugar episodes. And that was pretty much the only other like exciting thing that happened.
1: (laughs) Uh,
0: SPD this time around? I did. So th- I guess that's, that was like the least of my concerns. This was on <laughs> <You're like>, whatever. <laughs> I was like oh, I can't okay. walk, it's fine. <laughs> so yeah, I did have SPD. I did not have SPD with Maggie at all, but my hips, I think because my job is more stationary now than it used to be. Where I was working in a clinic, moving around all day, I now am like mostly working from home or even when I was seeing patients I would go to their home and sit down. So I <laughs> I wasn't moving around as much. Um, I was working out. I did work out to like 32 weeks pregnant this time, um, like lifting weights and everything. And that did help with my SPD. I was also doing prenatal yoga, which was helpful. Baths, heat, cold, like all, everything you can think of. Um, I also did pelvic physio. So lots of stretching and exercises for that. But yes, it was mostly my hips and my my pelvis had like a significant amount of heaviness early on in pregnancy versus like with Maggie, I think my pelvis didn't hurt till like 40 weeks. It was honestly, like I said, it was the least of my concerns, but it was making a day-to-day task very difficult, like bending over to pick up my toddler, sitting. (laughs) I started to get sciatica a little bit as well because of it. Massage especially was like my must-have for SPD. There were moments when I would get up from like bed to go to the bathroom at night as I got more pregnant where like my hip would feel like it was like dislocated like I would have to like step on it a several times to get it kind of like back into working position so yes it was it was a thing but it wasn't the worst thing that happened
1: so But it it still takes a toll on you, especially because, you know, having a toddler at home, you're like, I need to be able to walk, I need to be able to pick them up, put them in their car seat, like, all those like really physical things that are like already hard on your body, being, you know, 30 40 weeks pregnant Uh and of course your babies don't like to come on time
0: no yeah so by the end of pregnancy I'd say by like 30 probably when I stopped working out like 32 ish weeks which I think was also around the time I went off work I was quite limited I did get some of it back closer to the end and I think that was just like my body loosening up more for for birth because the last week of pregnancy actually felt really good physically which was super weird But yeah, I like lifting Maggie up out of her crib, putting her into the car, all those things were killing my back. I used a maternity belt uh, closer to the end and I had to try a bunch of things and, you know, nothing really worked for long, but the best thing that did work was giving birth.
1: (laughs) There you go. Right. That's what my midwife said too. You're just like, all this vomiting that you've done for 40 weeks straight, it will be cured when you give birth. It
0: it is. It's amazing, right? (laughs) Let's
1: talk about your birth plan. -hmm. The beginning of this pregnancy versus the end of your pregnancy, your birth plan changed. So, talk about that.
0: Yeah, so it changed because of the pandemic. I Don't know if we really talked about this, but I had a home birth this time. It's not as if I never was interested in a home birth. Actually, one of the things that drew me to midwifery care at the beginning, like with Maggie, was just a like an interest, and I wanted to know more. First baby, I really did want to give birth in a hospital. I think it's just my you know, my nursing background and stuff. And I just felt like I should be in a hospital just in case. Cause you know, you, again, you read horror stories or you read more difficult labor stories and you worry about complications. So it's not that I wasn't interested in it at all before. It's just the pandemic really pushed me towards it. And that is because of the changes in the policies at the hospitals saying that, your part, like if you test positive the birthing person, then your partner or support person is then considered a close contact and they can't come in with you. And that's not at every hospital in Ontario, but it was at a fair few, including my local hospital that I had planned to deliver at. As I went on in my pregnancy and after we went over this, that hump of six weeks, I was like, oh my God, no, I really really need my husband to be there when I give birth because he hasn't been able to be there for anything else this pregnancy. And it's really important to him. Always a part of my birth plan, even from the beginning of this pregnancy was I really want my husband to be able to have time with the baby when he's first born. Because with Maggie, we had visitors and some of that time had got robbed from him. And it really was important to me that that didn't happen again. Cause I knew he still talks about it. So like, I knew it bothered him. And I told my midwife that when we were kind of discussing like our early birth plan, I said, you know, like, I really want him to get that time. So that was one factor. And then I didn't want to be alone was the other factor. There was no one else I would really want there. My husband was my rock during my first labor. And I knew that I needed him to be that again, the second time. So at 37 weeks pregnant, I was like, no, you know what, I want to change to a home birth. And I did a ton of research on the like Association of Ontario Midwives website. I watched all the videos from my midwifery clinic. I was like, I'm low risk again. So I think I should qualify. I'm going to ask about it. And I forgot at my 36 week appointment to ask. So at, I emailed them being like, hey, Like, is it too late to talk about home birth? (laughs) Because I was 37 weeks. And a couple of days later, they emailed back saying, no, you qualify. Like, let's plan the home visit. So that's kind of what happened to change my plan.
1: I love how you changed it so late
0: in the game. <laughs> I was nervous they were going to be like, uh, "It's you're like going to give birth like in three weeks. What are you talking about? But you actually can, they told me this too, like, and it's on their website. You can change up until like the last minute, really, as long as you're you're prepared for a home birth, if you're switching from hospital to home. Exactly. Um, but you can switch back and forth really until you know. <laughs> so
1: you can, and I, my birth experience, I was at home laboring until I was about seven centimeters and my midwife had to you know like look at me are you wanting to still go to the hospital now is your time if you want to stay home we can stay home but you have to let me know now yeah so right up until seven centimeters you can decide to change your mind so 37 weeks you had plenty of time
0: yeah especially because I knew I would go over uh despite everyone trying to tell me they thought I was going to go early I was like no (laughs) that's not happening.
1: my body I know my babies they
0: like yeah. to be comfy in there they like their womb so um yeah so I was really I, I I was nervous to ask I don't know why I felt like embarrassed asking so late but uh I'm glad I did
1: that got the ball rolling then so they did the home visit what are they looking for
0: So they want to talk to you, uh, they want to look at your space, first of all, for safety reasons, like if you need EMS to come in, for example, they want to make sure that where you're planning to labor and potentially birth is like a clear pathway to, to get in and out, and that a stretcher will fit through the spaces and that kind of stuff. So that's obviously more of a concern when you live in like an apartment and that kind of like, or like somewhere with narrow stairways. For our house, we had to remove a baby gate at the top of the stairs just in case EMS needed to come up with a stretcher. Uh, so they were looking for things like that. And then we, they kind of just talked to you about like, where are you planning to labor? Where are you planning to birth um, the baby in the house? And then they show you where they would set up their equipment. And there's quite a lot of it. So they need like a big table or like several hard surface like top surfaces to set up all their equipment and then they go over just like everything that you need like if you're going to labor or birth on a couch or a bed how to prepare that space for for those things
1: okay so how do you <laughs> my biggest worry like i'm so wanting to be on team home birth and i'm like i'm going to ruin my carpet I'm gonna <laughs> ruin my bed So how did they prepare your space and where did you in your house, like your main floor, your bedroom, like where was it?
0: So we decided on, we we at the home visit, we weren't sure because I thought about renting a birthing pool, which I did not do because of COVID. Uh, A lot of the companies weren't delivering them and birthing pools are actually really challenging for midwives at home because there's no fetal monitoring that can go in the water at home you'd have to stand up to use the Doppler each time. And that becomes more and more frequent as you're getting closer to the end of like your labor. And also during COVID, there's some like evidence, I guess, suggesting that COVID can spread through feces. So if you labor in a pool, that presents like another host of challenges for the midwives as well related to COVID. And then they also have to like have PPE on sometimes because of that. Like there's just so many like little factors. So we, when we had the home visit, I was still unsure. I was still deciding. But after she kind of went over that with me, I was like, you know what? I think I'll be happy just to use like my shower and my tub upstairs. And then then we have like quite a big master bedroom. So if we wanted to go on the floor or the bed, that's available to us. Basically, what they do is that when they come for the home visit or um when you discuss it with them closer to 37 weeks, they give you a bag of uh, supplies. They give you everything that you would essentially receive in the hospital. So like a Perry bottle, um, a couple like diapers, there's all those blue and green pads that they use underneath you. They give you like a ton of those and um, medication, some that has to be non-refrigerated. So you just keep it in the bag. And then there's a refrigerated medication as well. And you also get a list, like this is the same when you go to the hospital, you get like that checklist for what to bring in your hospital bag. It's essentially the same thing, but it's a home birth checklist. And there's a, it's similar, like there's similar items on it, obviously, like you need some of the same things, but mostly it's like a drop sheet, like a painting drop sheet is what you would use on like a couch or a bed. You put your fresh sheets underneath, then you do like the drop sheet and then another like pair of sheets that you basically care less for (laughs) on top so that you're not laboring on the drop sheet you're laboring on like an older pair of sheets the drop sheets underneath to protect your new pair of sheets and then the clean pair that you want to sleep on that night are underneath so you they did it like my husband and the midwife set it up when she got there the day I was in labor but they strip it down after you're done giving birth. But the essential like idea behind it is that the drop sheet covers everything so that when you're done, you strip it all off and all that's left is your clean sheets. My drop sheet, I got an extra large one. So it actually stretched onto the floor as well, which was ideal. So it covered my carpet. So I would suggest like an extra drop sheet if you don't have like a large one, but I just got it at the dollar store. So it was just like a bigger one. So they actually use that on the carpet underneath because I did do like a lot of laboring on the floor before I gave birth. So you can stretch that kind of stuff out. And you you have to prepare like all these linens. So we needed like a certain number of towels, a certain number of washcloths. And I just used all our old stuff because I was like, well, I was going to throw these out anyway. So I washed them all and we put them in a vacuum sealed bag and just kept them there until I went into labor. Receiving blankets, like you need like eight receiving blankets because they clean the baby off and all that kind of stuff with it. And uh, I can't even remember all the other it's like, oh, two bowls, two big bowls, because they use one for the placenta and then the other one is for a warm uh, compresses. And the other stuff was just stuff that you would mostly have for regular labor as well. You have to have two garbage bags set up ones for linen and one is for like actual garbage And then they also like when you give birth, they explain to you how to get rid of the placenta, which is different depending on which city you live in. But we were able to uh, like basically you like freeze it in a double or double or triple garbage bag and then you can compost it in Mississauga. But some places you have to throw it in the garbage. So, yeah, (laughs) yeah, it's
1: taken it. Yeah, yeah waste bag
0: I know I thought I was like well it must be like biohazard or something but it's not it's just uh you just freeze it like if you have like a deep freezer it's like triple wrap so there it doesn't leak and then you freeze it so that animals obviously don't go after it and then just throw it out the day of like compost day or garbage day and they pick it up and take it away they also explained like how to wash all your linens and um, all the blankets, the towels and stuff after and how to get blood out if they did get blood on them. Just oh.
1: helpful for like anyone who menstruates anyways. <laughs>
0: yeah, like she explained the whole thing and it's actually pretty easy if you get blood on, on stuff, how to get it out. But I mean, we ended up throwing out a lot of ours because like I said, I just used old towels, but we kept like the sheets that we use, we kept like even on the top, we washed those and we were able to get everything out. Y- you'd be surprised how like not dirty it gets because of the midwife, especially when you're like pushing... Or your water's leaking they're like following you around like catching that kind of stuff with those pads right so all that stuff ends up in the garbage and we honestly like there was not really blood or anything anywhere they were very very clean
1: that's so interesting like i just panic because i'm like my beige carpets would just mm-hmm. yes but no they're so on top of it and they've done it so many times
0: yeah they're they're good like <laughs> they're right there like you don't really notice because you're in labor <laughs> But, like, thinking back, like my midwife, especially when I was starting to push, she was like right there, just like constantly like replacing the pad or cleaning things up. and and there was no. My husband said, like he was even surprised how little mess there was left over after. Friday, February 4th, I woke up at 2.30 in the morning. I went pee as per usual for a 40-week pregnant person. (laughs) And I went back in bed and I started having contractions. And I knew it was contractions when they started. They felt like very similar to what my kind of like mini school or minuscule early labor contractions felt like with Maggie um, when I was induced, which I have a hard time describing early on but it's kind of like having a a bad stomach cramp after you eat something bad that's what it was like for me and that started happening and it started happening very clearly with like a slow rise a peak and then it would taper off and then it was recurring and after it happened you know five times over like a certain amount of time i was like okay i think Think this is really it because i've had i had previously had like a lot of cramping before and some like sporadic contractions but they weren't coming at a regular pace at all so this was like totally different for me so that started around like two thirty three in the morning and it, they were they started about like seven to nine minutes apart variably once i had like a couple in a row i was like i'm gonna take my tylenol i'm gonna take um, my gravel which is what my midwife said to do and try and like go back to sleep for a bit even if I sleep and they wake me up so for the first like couple like I don't know maybe two hours I was able to like doze off pretty well in between them because they were spaced out like some like were nine minutes so and they weren't like painful it was just like uncomfortable so I would only wake up enough to like be like oh there's another one and then I would <laughs> fall back asleep but by like 5 30 in the morning they were about seven minutes then and they were getting more like more not I wouldn't even call them painful at that point it's just like harder to ignore and I really wanted to get up but I didn't get up till seven I tried to really like rest my body having them so that If I, if I did have a fast labor, I would have the energy to deal with it.
1: Well, and even a long labor, you would have the energy to manage it better because exactly from your previous experience, you're like, I need sleep. I need to be rested. Exactly. Yeah.
0: So I, I was very concerned about having energy. So that's why I took my Tylenol, took my Gravol, and I tried to stay in bed at least until seven. So
1: So perfect timing then. It's kind of like your wake up time for your household. So you were, did Maggie go to daycare right away? Like, I don't know what her drop off time is.
0: Yeah. So I usually I would drop her off around 745 when I was working, but it got closer to eight as I got pregnant and was off work. So Cody at at around 530, I told Cody, like, you should call into work. I'm quite sure I'm going to have him today. And so he called in and he's like, okay, I'll take Maggie to daycare. I didn't want to go because at that point, like I was still about seven minutes, but I just didn't want to be sitting in a car. So I just stayed at home (laughs) (laughs) and she went to daycare for around eight. He came back and I was probably still about like six or seven minutes by the time he got back. But definitely getting stronger, like I I would have to be like, At the beginning, I was like just laying down, having contractions and I was, it was fine. But then by that point, by the time he got back around like 8.30, 9 o'clock, I was, I was uncomfortable. Like I had to change positions when I was having one. So she went to daycare and, and basically after she left it like ramped up, which my midwife said is very normal. It's like your mom duties are over. So, so uh, labor continues because sometimes labor will stall because you have your other child home. They've said that like.
1: Your brain is so interesting, right? Like, like, no, pause. I'm not ready.
0: (laughs) Yeah. And like, that's totally what happened. Like she was there and they like almost spaced out a little bit more while I was getting her ready. And then they came back.
1: (laughs) Oh my goodness. That is so fascinating. The human body is amazing. It
0: really is.
1: So when did your water break?
0: So my water didn't break this time until I was in active labor. Once Cody got back from dropping Maggie off. We had breakfast and cause I was really hungry. Like I was, I think I ate like six things before the midwife got there at 1030. Like I just kept wanting to eat in between. And yeah. So around nine 30, I got in the bath uh, because they were getting stronger and I was really uncomfortable. So I laid in the bath for a bit and we called the midwife at that time because they were coming five to six minutes.
1: I was going to say you had, did the midwives want you to call them when you were 511?
0: Yeah, 511. So we we hovered between 5 and 6 for like an hour, basically from when he got home to when I like till we paged them around 9 9- Thirty nine forty five, and we were like hey we should probably just call because it's been an hour and they're closer to five minutes than they are to six and we didn't want again like a little bit concerned because of how quickly they came on and how close together they were I was like I feel like I should page them now by the time I was talking to her on the phone like I couldn't really talk to her while I was having a contraction, like I had to just like breathe through it. And then I was able to like resume our conversation. She came at 1030. She checked me. I was four centimeters dilated the day before I had been one to two centimeters. Cause I had had a sweep the day before, like by the time she came at 1030, I was four centimeters. She actually, we talked about it and she swept me again. Cause she said my contractions are happening. She wants them to like increase basically so that things progress at a good pace. Yeah. So I we like I agreed to that and I went to five centimeters like pretty much right away (laughs) and Then I basically just like labored in my living room watching the Olympics for like two hours. And I, and I was, I had like some fruit and I started drinking like Gatorade and stuff like that. Cause I, I wasn't, my hunger was starting to go away, but I felt like I needed like something at 1230, I like just before I had gone upstairs to go to the bathroom. And then I, my contractions really like started getting stronger and I was bending over the uh, change table in Maggie's room because the surface on it was so hard. It was like exactly what I wanted during a contraction, like to push myself against. And uh, my water started breaking at like during a contraction, I could just feel it like coming out. And I was like, oh, and my husband was there. So I was like, "Uh, yep, my water's, my water's breaking right now. So the midwife was in our room and she just like came over and totally different for me because Maggie's was like at the beginning and this one was like in the middle
1: (laughs) Well, and the first one was a trickle. Whereas this one, you're just like, yep, for sure. This is my water. Oh yeah. Yeah. Like
0: I knew too, because of the way, like when the rest of my water had broke with Maggie, it was like the similar uh, sensation and just the way it came out with the contraction. I could just tell. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah.
1: Did you feel like when I had my water break, I was nine centimeters and it was like A huge amount of pressure all of a sudden. Like the water was gone and baby was like, yep, I'm getting close to coming out. Did you feel that too? Like more heaviness and pressure?
0: So my contractions ramped up a lot after my water even broke like a little bit. Um, But it wasn't wasn't so much pressure, no. Like I think because I was still... Like I was in active labor for an hour, I think. So my water broke at 1230. I've been in active labor since 1130 per my midwife. I think like there was still enough fluid around the baby at that point that the pressure didn't start till probably like an hour later.
1: Mm-hmm. When like more water was out.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Cause I like, it kept coming out in like gushes for like a little bit afterwards. And I think like the second or third time, then it was like, okay, now I'm feeling like <laughs> now it's really heavy. <laughs>
1: management this time is different. So mm-hmm. what, what did you do?
0: So I read a hypnobirthing book at the end of my pregnancy because with everything that had gone on with this pregnancy, I honestly was not thinking about labor at all until like very late. <laughs> I really, and this was even before I knew I wanted to do a home birth, but I was like, I really want to try and not have the epidural. That was just my goal. I, like I said, I had no problems with the epidural no regrets with the first one at all i just really didn't want to have it again and it was mostly like i said the insertion even though it didn't hurt me it was very like scary for me for some reason um and that like haunted me a lot at the end of this pregnancy like i was very worried about having to do that again even though again i had no complications i had no pain during it i don't know why it kind of left me with that feeling but it did so a part of my original birth plan with this pregnancy was to avoid the epidural if it was possible but obviously would reconsider if i had to be induced again so i started reading this hypnobirthing book because i was like i really want to be able to cope better with contractions and not need that and i was really hoping that i would go into labor naturally this time to kind of help with that and luckily i did so the book i read was amazing it was by holly I've linked to it a couple of times in my blog post lately. It had great coping techniques. I read it in like two days and I used a bunch of different things from that book. Some things I had already used as techniques for coping with anxiety, like just as a regular human being. <laughs> my favorites, and I actually just wrote up my blog post talking about my birth story as well. <laughs> I laughed when I wrote this part, but I used visualizations. So she like suggested thinking of like a place that makes you feel calm and so I was thinking of the cottage and like being on the dock and like the sound of the water hitting the underneath the dock and the sun and that warm feeling of the sun like shining on you and that was kind of like my visualization for the end of pregnancy so whenever I was feeling like stressed during pregnancy or when I got in the bath I would always think about that sensation so that was what I thought about during contractions as well as they got more intense and weirdly, and I don't know why this happened, but Somewhere on a Beach by Dirk Bentley was in my head the entire time,
1: (laughs) even though- Did you have music, like, nature sounds? Nope, Dirk Bentley.
0: (laughs) Yeah, like, I, okay, so in End of Pregnancy, I had a playlist, but that wasn't even on my playlist, like, it's in my, (laughs) my, my music, but it's not on my playlist, and- I don't know why it was in my head, but every time I had, like during active labor, every time I had a contraction, it was going on. I was visualizing like being at the cottage being in the sun and that was in my head going through it but it helped apparently and like it would just it just happened I was like why am I thinking about
1: this I love that that's so funny but yeah so
0: I did plan to use other music and I um but I ended up just you know having that in my head and that was kind of what I did and if I was by myself I was probably saying it out loud honestly I don't remember oh yeah yeah um a lot of breathing. So in the book, she talks about like all these different types of breaths that you can take. Like there's a calm breath, which I used again at the end of pregnancy, because like I was getting a lot of anxiety at the end of pregnancy. Um, And then there's like a contract or a surge breath because they don't call it a contraction. Um, So it basically is like uh, visualizing like a balloon filling up with air and then releasing and you're saying like open release. And I thought about that a lot um, as well while I was in active labor like that I thought about the balloon like filling up a red balloon and releasing a white balloon I don't know those were just the colors that came to mind when I was in labor, so I did did a lot of breathing a lot of belly breathing which I was doing like for yoga and stuff like that as well so that really helped me early in labor. I was counting when I was in active labor. I was not, it was just whatever felt right. Um, in terms of breathing, like that was just how I was breathing. And I was just focusing on breathing and singing <laughs> to myself and, uh, you know, being relaxed. And I, I did listen to a lot of birth affirmations as well, um, in preparation for labor. And one of the th- like two of the things that stuck with me, like in terms of sayings that I repeated to myself where I can do anything for one minute. That was really, really powerful for me this time, especially because my contractions were like pretty even, pretty spaced. Like, like I did get a break. I got a lot of natural breaks between contractions and I use those breaks to the full extent. I fully relaxed my body like as much as I could and my mind and You know, it gets harder as you get closer to the end of labor, of course, but especially like when I was in earlier active labor, I was really trying to like take advantage of my breaks, thinking like I can do anything for one minute and my baby is almost here was the one I was thinking about when I was pushing. So a lot of like weird, like mental things, but they did work. I think because I practiced them before in reaction to other things as well. That's why they were more effective for me this time
1: that's true
0: yeah yeah like I use them if I felt anxiety or if like for example like Maggie has been difficult in the mornings <laughs> lately especially when I was at the end of pregnancy and I was really tired so when I was starting to feel like worked up I would like do the breathing or I would think like of my like happy place and things like that and they really really did carry on into labor like naturally I guess yeah. and then
1: especially like you use it you know, almost daily, it becomes second nature.
0: Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. It's like habitual. Mm-hmm. Um, And then in terms of like actual pain management, I did take Tylenol, like I said, in early labor, and I took it once, like right when I was going into active labor, just I think when my water broke is when I took it because like, we knew that they were going to get a lot stronger. If it did anything, I have no idea. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but, uh, and then I used the TENS machine. So
1: Oh, how was
0: that? So I thought I would hate the TENS machine because I hate the TENS machine for physiotherapy so much. Like I found it so uncomfortable, but uh, my midwife brought one and she's like, why don't you just try it once my water broke? And I was like, yeah, because I'm having a lot of back pain. So she put the four pads on my back and it was absolutely amazing.
1: (laughs) Oh my goodness. See, I had back labor my whole birthing experience and all I wish I had was a TENS machine. That's phenomenal that your midwife actually had one.
0: I know. I was actually surprised because I didn't think that they brought them and at first when she asked me, I thought she said, do you have a tense machine? And I was like, no. And she's like, oh, okay. And I was like, wait, you have one. (laughs) So, um, she's like, yeah, do you want to try it? And I was like, yeah, like, I don't know if I'm going to like it, but I'll try, I'll try it. Like I'll try anything at this point. And yeah, it was, it was really nice. I put it on like the burst setting in between contractions. So it was just going sporadically. And then during contractions, I put it on boost. So it was constant and I used it right up until I was pushing like it was really, really helpful. Some contractions more than others, depending on like where I felt them. But some of them, honestly, I remember having one with it on and I like barely felt the contraction because it was working so well. So it really like depends on the placement, I think, and like where you're feeling your your contractions the most. It was really effective for me and I had thought that it would not be so
1: tens or not using tens, what positions were you in for labor then? Like can you wear the tens and be on your back or were you in different positions?
0: Yeah. So I was able, like I don't think I laid flat on my back, but I laid on my side for a very short amount of time. Most of my active labor I was walking around. Um for my breaks, I really it really felt good to be like just walking and not feel a contraction. I don't know why. Um for a lot of my contractions, I was bending over in some way. So either leaning on like a hard surface, like a table or uh, the wall um, or the sink. I actually leaned over the sink for a long time too and had cold water running on my hands. It was really distracting, I guess. And then I also had Maggie's pink beanbag chair. Um, so I used that in her room and like put my whole body over it and I had my yoga ball. So again, like a lot of cat cow like positions. And I did just do cat cow, like a lot for contractions as well. So in any of those positions, you can use it. And I think like laying on your side as well. I don't know about your back if it would, like, I think you can still wear it, but it just might not feel as effective. I would think because you're like putting pressure on your back as well.
1: I found the same like I was leaning over my bed that was the most comfortable
0: yeah yeah I did that in like earlier labor in the on the couch I leaned over the couch I really like that but like leaning over things really and spreading my like hips apart Mm -hmm. that was probably like the most relieving
1: did you also do the um counter pressure on your hips this time
0: Yeah, I didn't have as much hip pain this labor as I did the first time, but like low back to hips, um, my midwife and Cody took turns kind of doing that I didn't need it for every contraction I found there were certain ones where I was like no do it and then sometimes I'd be like stop touching me (laughs) because I just didn't want that pressure at that time but yeah um, I did use that and that was really even in a cat cow like having that downward back pressure is really nice too
1: did you go back in the water at all or just in early labor in the in the morning?
0: I did. So I had thought about going in the bath again, but my, because I had this like affinity towards being leaned over, I decided not to. So I actually went in the shower um, just before I started pushing, actually, because I was so sweaty. (laughs) (laughs) I had, I had my like, I had like a labor gown on and I took it off, and I was just like, I felt like I was just like drenched. Like I was so hot. And at that time of day, when you deliver in like the afternoon, the sun is coming right into my room. So I had like the second midwife when she came, I was like, close the curtains. <laughs>
1: <laughs>
0: yeah yeah and the sun was just coming down onto the carpet where i was and i was like i can't do this i was like i need to shower like i have to feel like water on me so i did get in the shower like cody helped me in and uh, we have bars in our shower so i was actually able to like lean against the bars and like kind of like hang my body on those during the time i was in the shower i didn't stay in for super long because i started to feel the push pressure while i was in there and i was like i do not want to have my baby in my shower really so um I got out but it was it was it was good for pain relief like I let it hit my back for a while and then I like just like hung out and had contractions with the water and like I said the water was kind of a nice distraction I guess Mm
1: -hmm. so okay so you got out of the shower from there until birth like how quick was it
0: Um, so I got the urge to push and I was nine centimeters. I had a cervical lip that was just like tiny in the way. So she said I could still push. Usually what happens is that the lip goes away as the baby moves down. She said she could hold it back for me, but I forgot, or I guess I just didn't, didn't notice. And I was talking about this with another mom the other day, but cervical checks or things where they're dealing with your cervix during labor the second time seemed to hurt a lot more than the first time. And I was very adamant about that not happening. But in the end, I did end up having her hold it um, when I was pushing, but I could not like fathom her doing it when I was when I was pushing at the beginning because I was pushing in cat cow for a while. And I, I say a while, this is probably like, what, five minutes? I don't know. It felt like 17 hours. Um, and then I moved to the birthing stool because they brought the birthing stool to the home birth. And that was actually, I think I would have, liked to have given birth on the birthing stool had my child not had such a large head i still had that slight cervical lip on the birthing stool and i was on the stool sweating (laughs) leaning against cody and i like the urge to push was insane like i just wanted this baby to come out and when you're on a stool it really feels like they're about to come out yeah but he kept going up and down (laughs) So I was just getting so tired, like my legs were tired because even though you're on a stool, you're like putting pressure down into your legs, right? When you push and I had been in cat cow for like for a while before that, like both laboring and pushing, my knees were sore, my legs were sore. I was getting so tired. I was like, you know what? I really need to lay down. So I got on the bed and I laid on my left side and of course my body had felt so great that week. Until I laid on my left side and then my SPD was like, hello, <laughs> I'm still here right now. And I was like, really? Because <laughs> I I was really mad because I really wanted to just like push him out on my side, but I could not bend my hip for the life of me. Like it was excruciatingly painful. And I just kept saying, I can't do this. I can't do this like this. I have to lay on my back. And so they turned me over and they're like, okay, grab your legs. And I was so tired. Like I felt like I was like just holding onto my legs like a limp fish, like <laughs> which is not ideal for pushing. And so Cody grabbed my one leg and really pulled it back. And then my second midwife came and pushed my other one. And then I grabbed behind them. And I just kept saying, you know, like my baby's gonna be here soon. My baby's gonna be here soon. And with every push I was pulling, back on my legs you know like trying to push him out and uh you know 30 minutes later He was born so it was only 30 minutes but to me it felt like three hours
1: (laughs) oh yeah I pushed for 40 minutes and it felt like forever too yeah like I
0: asked him after I was like wow how long did I push for like longer than Maggie and she's like no like she's like you (laughs) just made it to 30 minutes I was like oh my god it felt like forever but it didn't help because so while I was on the birthing stool my water the end of my water seemed to have broken at that point and I had meconium in my water at this point, all of a sudden. Oh, okay. So earlier on, my water had been totally clear and now I'm nine centimeters and I have meconium. So then I'm like, oh, my God. But I'm also like just wanting to push this baby out. So I also just don't care. <laughs> yeah, <I am> out. <laughs> <laughs> so like uh, my midwife's like, hey, so there's meconium in your water now, but you're nine centimeters. So we're obviously not going to move you. <laughs> you're staying here the options are just to like have the baby and if there's any issues we can call EMS after or you can call EMS now and just have them on standby and I opted for standby just because I'm paranoid and I just wanted them to be there so they came really quickly and of course they came at their shift change so (laughs) and of course this was all whilst I was pushing so I was super distracted by like a man and a woman and just like people coming up and there's a baby's head sticking out of my vagina. So I was very distracted by that. So I lost my little bit of my mojo. I feel like he might've come out sooner had they not been there. He was born. Everything was fine. EMS got to leave. One of them got our mail for us, which was very nice of him. (laughs) But, uh, and then, yeah, he was born and it ended up only being 30 minutes, but it felt, like I said, like forever because like all those interruptions, like they kept being like, is the baby born yet? Like, no, can't you
1: (laughs) Do you hear a baby crying?
0: (laughs) 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 Exactly. And then when he came, you know, they checked his lungs right away and everything was fine. So that was like the most turbulent part of my experience but at the same time I honestly was not even like really worried about it because I just wanted the baby to come out. I did have a small second degree, um, which they t- stitched up after my placenta came out and it honestly, like they injected lidocaine to do the stitches and I did not feel it at all. And I think yesterday, so that'd be day 10 postpartum, I stopped feeling like any pain in that area. So they seem seemed to have like disintegrated and healed up already. And I had a second degree tear with Maggie as well, but I think it was like slightly bigger. so.
1: And did you feel, because you didn't have an epidural this time, did you experience the ring of fire at all?
0: Yes. Yeah. <laughs> it was brief. I'll say that. Um, yeah. Because I think, like, by the time his head was there, it was only, like, one push and then he did come out, thank God. But yes, it. I did not experience that at all with an epidural. That wasn't a thing. Like, it, the urge to push with an epidural is like, oh, like, you should probably push. That's what it was like for me. But this time I was like, you absolutely must push now or you're going to die. Like yeah. um, so when that happened, I was like, oh my God, I feel like it really ramped up my desire to push him out.
1: Like it's over with now. Yeah, because I was like,
0: I do not like that feeling at all. <laughs> and then yeah, like right after he came out. So <laughs> it's a real thing.
1: <laughs> it really is. So like would you say like that was the peak amount of pain being unmedicated? is ring a fire.
0: In terms of comparing my labors being induced in contractions were the worst for me. Pushing was like hard work but it wasn't painful. This time I don't even know if I would consider any part of it necessarily like pain but like discomfort and heaviness and tension to the, like the maximum amount. I never during this labor was like oh my god I need pain management like I need an epidural I need this like I never felt like that. But I did feel like extremes of things like it was like you have to push and the downward pressure was like overwhelming your whole body, but I wouldn't say it was painful. And then Ring of Fire was like, oh, my God, that's really uncomfortable. And I do not like that at all. But again, like, I guess that was probably like the most painful aspect then. But again, like, I don't know if I would say like, oh, my God, that hurts so much. It was just like, oh, that was horrible. Like (laughs) I don't know.
1: Yeah. Same. Like looking back at my birth experience, I was unmedicated. I'm like, I don't remember it being painful, but ring of fire. I remember being like, I need this to be done. I I feel
0: like there's like a, biological reason that that occurs at the time that it does because it like spurs you on to just like finish the the job you know
1: well and I remember like right after birth and you're just like holy crap I did that you're just like hormones are amazing covering all that pain right like the actual like the natural pitocin and everything you're just like oh my goodness Yeah. Yeah, It's
0: crazy that your body like does all of that. Everything that's happening in that whole process is just your body and your baby doing that, which is just crazy to think about.
1: So right after birth, you had the amazing, I did it. We did it. Yes. Did Cody just, you know, get to have so many more, like so much more time with baby what you wanted like did you get your end goal there
0: yes Cody was with me the whole time again he was my person during it you know refilling my water by Gatorade and doing my counter pressure and and when I was pushing he was there holding my leg holding my hand telling me like I can do it I'm almost there he's almost born he he said he saw everything this time which I think (laughs) Was not part of his plan, but he didn't seem too bothered by it. And he did cut the cord. He cut the cord with Maggie, too. Again, he doesn't like the sensation of it. Yeah. <laughs> they had asked him if he wanted to catch him. <laughs> he said no. Because <laughs> I had actually pulled Maggie out, but I did it with him just because of the position I was in. He went right on my belly. And it's so weird when they first come out. Like it's such a relief physically. Like it's crazy. Just like the instant relief that you feel when they're born. And then again, when the placenta comes out and then finally you feel like, oh my God, all that nine months and all that tension and everything that you have is released. He, he stayed on my belly. He actually like crawled right up to my breast over time somehow and started like he wanted to eat. So I fed him for a while and then once he was fed and he had chilled with me for a bit, when they were like doing my stitches, Cody took him and and he got him cleaned up and was with him for the newborn assessment. He got to carry him around for a bit and get him dressed, and I think it was really nice for him. There was no no one to interrupt his time with him, and perfect, it really does. Yeah, like I think it was special, and I think he he enjoyed it. I think it was nice that we were at home too, so like everything. Everything was just there that he needed for him. It was nice for Cody, for me to labor at home because like he could go and eat lunch during it. Like, like if he wanted to drink, he could just get one from the fridge. Like it it seems so like menial, but it really like made a difference for him too. like, he could change his clothes. So many things that he wasn't able to do when we were in the hospital were like accessible to him during that. And of course, the most important was the time that he got to spend with James.
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. Like that just like post birth, you know, experience after like those first few hours just sounds so amazing at home,
0: yeah. and like there don't get me wrong. like I think it's nice. Like the time I had with Maggie right after she was born, I felt amazing too, like you just had it would no matter where you have your baby, you just had a baby and that's super exciting. And, and you get filled with all the happy feeling, but I definitely had like a home birth high after, and I felt so proud of myself and so happy that I was already at home and, and the baby was already at home and we didn't have to like, get them a car like get the car seat ready or anything like there were so many like little things that just were easier and and it did feel really really nice especially when you're tired <laughs> it felt the best to be in your own bed already <laughs>
1: absolutely so postpartum did you have to do anything differently being at home at all or you said that you were given the peri bottles so you already had that but anything else like did they provide at the hospital i know they provide pads and stuff like that do the midwives or do you kind of prep for that ahead of time
0: so they provide you with like the green and blue pads like those big ones not like for pads like that you wear but the pads that go underneath you and stuff and they did give me a couple diapers i did personally like i bought the always boutique discreet ones cuz i really like those and i bought pads and stuff and i had had them like stored in our room for after so they helped me like get everything out they walked me over to the bathroom and everything. And I could not pee after, <laughs> like I had to try a second time because the first time I just like, I tried everything. Like I tried blowing bubbles. I tried drinking water, running the tap, smelling peppermint oil, nothing was working. So I just like went back to my bed and um, ate McDonald's <laughs> and then I drank like a whole water bottle and then I was like, okay, now I have to pee. And then I got up and I was able to go, but they help you with all that. They help make sure you're all like postpartum ready when they leave. They help me change or whatever I wanted to do. And yeah, in terms of like supplies, it's pretty much the same. Like you need your diapers, pads, whatever you prefer, anything for breastfeeding you would have with you. I did my diaper cart. So I had everything right there and mobile beside the bed if I needed it. I think the biggest difference is that you don't have to go anywhere. You're already at home. As long as you prepare ahead of time, you have everything there. They did provide that peri bottle and they fill it up for you. So like when I went to the bathroom, they had like my diaper out and whatever. So it was nice. It was like a spa treatment. <laughs> it's similar, but th- I think the difference is just like there's no transition. You're already at home. It's like yeah. you, you instantly move from pregnancy to postpartum.
1: Being at a hospital, it's not you saying goodbye to them. It's them saying goodbye to you and leaving your house <laughs> and just not you're not the one leaving the hospital saying bye midwives or bye doctors <laughs> they're just like hey bye you're home
0: I know it's so weird like they're there for a couple hours after obviously like checking you and then they have to pack up all their stuff and they have so much stuff and that took like a while so I feel like he was born at like basically 4 o'clock they didn't leave till like maybe 7 30 yeah so like three and a half hours by the time they like checked all of us and like packed all their stuff into the car again and everything they also do a really good job like I said of cleaning up too so that's a like a, I guess it, I mean not that you clean up at the hospital but you're not in that like hospital setting after which is kind of nice <laughs> and they really cleaned it up and they put everything back where it was like they had moved stuff out of the way in our room or my husband had and they put it back so it just was like nothing even happened there
1: yeah <laughs> <laughs> so then did Maggie come home right after daycare and meet her little brother?
0: Yeah, so she went to her papa and Gigi's right after daycare cuz daycare ends like we usually pick her up around 4:30 and then we were still like in the midst of doing things. So she went just down the street and she came o- came home just around bedtime and Cody brought her up. He actually took a video, it was so cute. She's like, mama, mama. And she's like coming into the room and then she's like, oh, hi baby. <laughs> and she's like petting his head. She's like, hi baby. Like just so many times she just kept saying hi baby over and over <laughs> And then she like pet my head. She's like, hi, mama. (laughs) And I was like, oh, you're so cute. And she just wanted to stay and stare at him. Like I put him in um, his bassinet and she she was just like standing over it. Like, hi, baby. Where baby? I'm like, baby's right there. And she's like, oh, (laughs) and she didn't want to go to bed that night because she was really excited that the baby was there and she didn't want the baby to leave. (laughs) because I like brought the baby in her room to say goodnight and she's like oh baby and she cried and I was like you get to see the baby every day now
1: yep he'll still be here when you wake up exactly I know it's only been 11 days but like transitioning from one to two what would you say is the hardest and the easiest so
0: yeah 11 days I'd say the easiest is actually having a newborn Again, and I know some people would disagree with me, but that has been the easiest for me personally. Up until, you know, 11 days ago, I was sleeping through the night for over a year, (laughs) other than getting up to pee in pregnancy. But uh, surprisingly, the sleep transition wasn't as hard this time, going from a full night's sleep to less sleep. Um, Whereas with Maggie, we had a really hard time. Like the second night, we were both like just wiped. This time we knew we were like, the second night is hard. so we're probably gonna not get that much sleep and we both actually did okay the next day we kind of like took turns dealing with things and we just handled it better and a newborn is so different from a toddler like you kind of forget um that they like mostly sleep all of the time and and they eat and they poop and then they go back to sleep like <laughs> there's not much going on there so as long as you're like able to keep up with the supply demand of those things you do okay with the with the transition like I found it relatively easy and again like the sleep thing it's surprisingly easier the second time around just because you know what more what to expect like last night we didn't sleep that was a little unexpected because he had been sleeping better but it still wasn't as hard as it was the first time the hardest part is keeping up with your toddler with another person attached to you (laughs) I am really lucky that my husband is home for two weeks because he's been taking Maggie to daycare because we did send her back to daycare um, during the week just because it's easier for us to adjust to the baby with like her at daycare right now that that's the hardest part though is now I have to next week be getting up to get Maggie ready by myself um, in the morning and driving her to daycare but I have the baby too so it's like a scheduling thing like trying to manage both people at the same time. And while the baby is relatively low key, uh, you know, I can't, I have to bring the baby with me into her room. And and there's all these like little minuscule things that you don't really think about until you have them there. And then you're like, oh, this is like a lot harder to do with one hand or, or something like that. So And, and my toddler is like fighting me on getting dressed every morning and, and putting her diaper on and that kind of stuff. So it's, that was already hard before I had given birth. And now it's like, okay, I'm physically able to keep up with you, but I now also have to hold a newborn. I have a newborn beside me that I can't just like walk away from. So it's, it's figuring out how to fit everyone into your new normal schedule I guess I, th- I think that's been the hardest so far for us and that's
1: it toddlers have a set schedule newborns go don't <laughs>
0: yeah which sounds easier like you should be able to fit the newborn in pretty easy than to the toddler schedule but the thing is still like you only have two arms yes. so it's like making sure you have like a a safe surface in every room that you go into um like planning ahead a little bit like i know next week i'm going to have to get up a little bit earlier than i normally would have to get maggie ready because i'll have to feed the baby and change him before i get her up and change her and feed her <laughs> I so.
1: you baby wearing a lot <laughs> yes I
0: just washed my beluga baby wraps and they're ready to go now for next week because I figured like I'll I won't use them until Cody goes back to work <laughs> but yeah and like we have like a mamaroo on one floor and then we have the bouncer and then we have his his bassinet so like and I have a mat in Maggie's room for him so like there's all these different surfaces I can put him down on. And and it's just like being t- time management, I think is hard. And then, you know, like there's an adjustment for your toddler too. Maggie's been really good. She, she loves the baby. She, there's a little bit of a, A challenge with telling her how gentle she has to be because it's the youngest baby she's ever been around but she's generally pretty good like if you tell her gentle she'll fix it toddlers really like people's eyes so like it's just like watching them not to poke the baby's eyes out (laughs) other than that
1: animals that maggie has always been good with
0: Yes. I
1: feel like that's like kind of practice. I know animals and babies aren't the same, but I feel like it's kind of somewhat good practice, like gentle petting the dog or petting the kitty and now gentle petting your baby. No, It's
0: totally true though. Like, and she totally does pet him like that's (laughs) That's so true, but it is. Yeah. I think it is good practice like to have a pet and then transition into a baby because yeah, it's, it's similar concept for them to understand. I think one thing that she's, faced with a little bit of regression but not anything major for her like her sleep is still great she was almost like fully potty trained in December and that's kind of gone away (laughs) Um, which I was expecting and it's partially because we're constantly like changing the baby or and you know like taking the baby upstairs to change him and change his diaper and now all of a sudden she wants us to change her diaper and it's more of like an inclusion thing I think. We're still like we're we're giving her like some time to adjust obviously. We're still trying to suggest to her like do you need to go to the potty? Do you need to go to the potty? And a lot of the times she's not telling us anymore. Whereas before she was like very adamantly telling us that she had to go to the, wash- the washroom. So that's been something that's been kind of a, a little bit challenging. A little bit, sometimes I see jealousy only around the stroller. I have no idea why, but she's like my stroller. But I'm like, no, this is the baby's stroller. <laughs> so it's a good thing we got a double because then she can still go in it. So I'm really happy that we ended up getting a double for that reason, because she definitely has shown some like possession over the stroller. With
1: foresight.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, yeah. I didn't even expect that to happen, but she the other day she just it set her off. And yeah, just like a little, little like she's definitely impacted like her, her attitude and mood sometimes is a little bit more touchy, I would say. Um, I don't know if it's like just the age. It's probably a combination of just where she is in life, as well as just having a new person around all the time but I'd say overall she's done really well and she likes her brother and like she definitely doesn't resent him I know some people struggle with that like where their toddler just has no interest in the new baby she's not like that at all she's very interested in him she talks about him at daycare (laughs) and yeah (laughs) it's just like tiny things that you don't think of but I think the biggest part is really just like finding your new your new normal, like your new schedule. That's the most challenging part for me anyway.
1: Yeah, exactly. And then, you know, just following Maggie's lead and, you know, making her supporting her transition. That's all it is.
0: Yeah. And the other thing I guess is making time for you and toddler alone time still. And I'd say that's the hardest in like these early days because the baby needs me so much right now because I'm breastfeeding and like, yes, I have some express milk that we could do a bottle, but we're just not at that point yet, I guess. So it's, it's just trying to fit in time. So like right now I'm doing like after dinner, we kind of try and do something together, like color or whatever. Like it's just making those moments, even if it's short and, and then the rest of the time it's like family time. So it's just her getting used to that, like that there's now someone else in our family, which again, she's done a really good job with. And we're trying to like support her Moving in, but I think it's it's like hard emotionally for you as a parent. They're not your only baby anymore, and they're not the little baby anymore.
1: (laughs) Exactly. Like the things that make me the most emotional of like the going from one to two are those photos of the mom saying like goodbye to their first right before they're about to. Oh yeah. And it just makes me so emotional being like, you're saying goodbye, not like goodbye to your first one. You're not saying goodbye. You're like saying goodbye to them as a baby. And yeah. Yeah, exactly. a new family member and like a new chapter of your life and your family's life. And I think it's just, it's a beautiful moment. And it just, it's like my favorite thing that I see about going from like one to two. <laughs> and you know what? It's just such a monumental moment for everyone in your household.
0: Yeah, exactly. Like, it's, it really is just like a, it's a life changing moment. And you I think you don't like fully realize that. But uh, yeah, it's, it it's been good so far. I think we're doing okay, obviously, it's going to take time for us to like build our new normal. And, you know, every, every season that changes, like as she grows, and things change for her, that's going to change everything for us again. So I think it's like a constant reassessment kind of thing but it's
1: with parenting you're like yeah i finally got this parenting thing down and then something new happens Exactly, (laughs)
0: exactly yeah so like i fully expect it to be like that and i mean i'm looking forward to like spring summer so i can take her out of daycare like twice a week And have her home too, but we're going to wait till winter's over because
1: I don't want to be trapped
0: in the house with her and the baby right away. So, no,
1: absolutely. When warmer weather and like going to the cottage and stuff in the summer.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I'm looking forward to like. It's it's new. It's different. It's exciting. Yeah, I'm, I'm just looking forward to the memories. And I, uh, summer is always like my highlight of the year. So because we can do so many things outside and especially at her age now, she's liking all that stuff more. So it'll be a lot of fun.
1: Well, I'm so happy for you and your family. And I'm so incredibly happy that you had such a great experience this time around and it was kind of everything you hoped and dreamed of yes and I don't know how you top it like if you decide to have another (laughs) I
0: (laughs) and I've been thinking and like oh my god my vagina is probably like why are you thinking about this (laughs) but uh like I have thought about that in the past couple of days and like we always wanted three but now I'm like how like after such a good experience like giving birth I'm like do I want to do that again like what if it's totally different again because like based on my first two and it's definitely just been something I've been like wow I never really thought about that before but we'll reassess you know uh, in over a year for sure
1: exactly let your body heal adjust to your new family and decide later on
0: yeah let the amnesia happen again so then I'm like oh yeah I want to be pregnant again just for the record like ontario home birth is is much um is regulated and has been happening for over 25 years in the province it's not as sketchy as home birth in some other places so
1: exactly and not everyone can do it right like you need to qualify for it and that's what you know makes it such a different experience than some other places in the world exactly
0: that's what makes it safe is having that eligibility criteria and it being rather strict so that uh you know and and also like having the option to transfer to hospital and and uh change your plan and that kind of stuff like that all contributes to why the outcomes are so good in our province for home births actually like really really good (laughs) compared to like i know i've read horror stories from the u.s and other places about unregulated home birth deliveries i'm not saying that that happens to everyone but you know that birth is an a process a normal process but it can be high risk so it's we have to consider that If you like this podcast, hit that subscribe button. You can also check out our website at www.elephantinthewomb.ca and subscribe to the blog email list for blog and podcast updates.